Hello guys, welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast. Thank you for tuning in this week. We're going to be looking back at the EFL weekend. We are Ali Maxwell and George Ellick. And despite a few postponements, we've got plenty to get into George Ellick sitting opposite me. Uh, let's get cracking at the top of the championship. It was an odd week in the top half of the champ. Here are the results of the teams who went into the weekend in the top half. Draw, 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 draw. Haven't played as we record. One, draw, postponed. One, draw, one, haven't played yet. So we're off to QPR Brentford tonight after we record. So sadly can't talk about that. Good chance for Brentford to win three games in eight days. They'd be the only team in the championship to win three and three. But a good week in the top half, George, for Preston, for Swansea and for Birmingham. And I think we'll start with Preston because... It was a hell of a turnaround in an important game for them at home to Blackburn. 2-0 down after 15 minutes, 3-2 winners. The good vibes, the good words from us keep coming, I guess, for this Preston side. Yeah, it was the game I was following quite closely from <clears throat> from the Oxford game on Saturday, given that it was one of my tips um, on the betting show. So to see <laughs> Blackburn 2-0 up after 11 minutes wasn't ideal, but um, glad that we managed to turn it around and, and Preston got the result for that reason. Um, and frustrating, you have to say, for Blackburn. Um, I think it couldn't really have started better. Um, as I said on, on the betting show, they'd only won two games away from home this season, losing every other game. So to go 2-0 up against a team who hadn't lost at home for such a long time was huge. Um, Gallagher getting off the mark for the club as well after a really, really barren spell. Um, I think he probably thought he'd scored two after 10 minutes, but it turned out the first one was an own goal, ricocheting off the uh, woodwork and back onto Declan Rudd. Um, but yeah, this is a huge display from Preston because when we talk a lot about Alex Neal, about the young manager, about the young team, this was no different. And so to come up against a Blackburn team who whilst they're in no, you know, not in particularly good form under Tony Mowbray, they're always pretty solid. Um, and to get the three goals they needed to win the game was huge. Um, Tom Barkhausen, the star, with two goals, the winning goal being phenomenal. Um, a fantastic finish across the keeper uh, from wide on the left. And a shout out for Jaden Stockley as well, who came off the bench, has struggled to really make an impact at Preston so far. Um, he did okay at the back end of last season, having come in in January. He's really struggled to get games this season, mainly due to the form of certain other players. But we saw on Saturday that his kind of target man attributes can be used by this Preston team for, for reasons beyond just um, you know goal scoring, because he was very heavily involved in both of Barkhausen's goals, not even getting the assist, but just controlling the ball on his chest or, or with his head um, to retain the position further up the pitch and cleverly use it to recycle and then go on and make the chance. So, um, you know, Bark Barkhausen gets the headlines, but I think Stockley here maybe changed the game. Yeah, plenty of mentions for Stockley in the Sunday scouting reports tweeted in to us at NTT20pod on Sunday about this game. And although it's just one game, let's project a bit here. If Stockley can... Uh, impact games in a Preston shirt more regularly, then it's another string to their bow. And this is a very diverse attacking team. They are the top scorers in the championship at the moment uh, with 27 goals, but they've also got six players who have scored two or more, which is more than any other team. There's a couple of teams who have five such players, but six players for Preston have between them scored 23 goals at this early stage. And this is, you know, it, the upshot of this is, they lost Callum Robinson in the summer, who was their best attacking player last season. They didn't seem to have an obvious 20-goal-a-season player up top. They still don't really. Daniel Johnson is their top scorer 
on eight goals, many of them penalties. Um, and yet they're finding various different ways of hurting teams and those varied threats are, are really causing problems for the opposition. So Barkhausen, who can play in a few different uh, roles, I suppose, in the front line. Same with Maguire, who also started this game. Stockley, as you say, making an impact in that sort of bruising target man-esque role. Uh, and uh, based on, well, that, on the base of a, a solid defence, which you've spoken about a fair bit over the last 18 months or so, that's something you can normally rely on with Preston. Uh, and that midfield that we like very much with Alan Brown and Gallagher and Johnson and the like. So very positive stuff for them. I suppose the stats would suggest that the the rate of scoring probably won't continue at this speed. And that's not necessarily surprising because they have scored so many goals in the last few weeks. Um, but what I would say is while their conversion rate is the highest in the league by some way, uh, they've actually taken the fourth fewest shots but scored the most goals, 18.5% of their shots going in. Um, But their XG per shot is very, very high. So that suggests that they are focusing more on producing the the best quality chances that they can and and certainly converting them at a very high rate. Um, A lot of Rovers fans grumbling about Tony Mowbray at this stage, George. It's something that we see um, quite often when... You know, when there's been so much success in a manager's tenure and then things seem to be stagnating something, I wouldn't want to say going backwards necessarily for Blackburn because I'm not sure what we expected other than a a, a mid-table finish, maybe at best this season. They're currently 17th on 15 points from 14 games, but not on great form. Uh, Your thoughts on grumbles about Tony Mowbray? I think this is the stage of the season where you're going to have five or six managers under pressure in every league purely because um, there can have to be teams who after 14 or 15 games are occupying those positions between 15th and 24th, most of which won't have expected to be there at the beginning of the season. So um, in in Mowbray's case, I think there's enough evidence to support him being the right man for the job. Um, It doesn't take very much at all for them to get um, into a loftier position. If they were, you know, they're, they're what, four points behind Hull in 12th. And if they were in 12th, I'd say that he was doing a good job. Mm. So it, it's pretty hard to, um, I'd say it's pretty harsh to criticise him, especially on the back of this result as well, where, you know, they, they did incredibly well to get 2-0 up and not to be able to cl- close the game out is frustrating, but not wholly surprising against a team as good as Preston are at home. Um, that's not to say that, you know, it's a joke to be asking for him to leave. It, it might, in a couple of weeks, you know, to transpire, that's the correct thing to do. But, you know, with a home game coming up again against Sheffield Wednesday after back-to-back away games, um, you know, they've had three away games of the last four, uh, losing all three, admittedly. Um, but they've drawn their, their last two home games. I, I think, and it, you know, the, the fixtures get tougher as well. Two games next up are Sheffield Wednesday at home who are absolutely flying at the moment under Gary Monk. And then you've got Leeds away. Um, so it's going to be, could get worse before it gets better. But um, I wouldn't say that, that fans should be looking to uh, to dispense of Mowbray now because I'm not sure there are, there are that many out there who'll, who'll be doing a better job. Another big top half result in the championship on Sunday was Swansea 1, Cardiff 0 and it was it was an interesting watch. It was a it was a hell of an atmosphere, I tell you that. And it was a, a an interesting game. We knew it was going to be a clash of styles. In the end, Swansea making some compromises, I think, to to the way that they play, not to a huge extent, but to some extent, in order to stand up to Cardiff's 
threat. They were only ever going to play one way, and that is how they always play. And Swansea did unbelievably well to stand up to it. I think more impressive than any of the attacking players, although they all had decent games, was the performances of Ben Wilmot, who came in with Rodon injured. Wilmot not having played a huge amount of football yet for Swansea on loan from Watford. Uh, he dealt with the aerial threat particularly well, I thought. And Van der Horn, who is always impressive, let's be honest, um, was fantastic. But also the um, the beauty in midfield, Matt Grimes, who just had a, a wonderful game on, on sort of, well, what they would say, both sides of the ball in basketball, both with the ball, helping to progress the ball for Swansea, which he does so well, um, but also battling in that midfield with Marlon Pack, with Joe Rawls uh, and doing really well. So it was an amazing day for Swansea fans, Cardiff fans, a bit like Plymouth fans, and we're going to talk about them later, losing a big derby game. There's always the sort of, ah, oh, it, it was a pathetic, spineless display, etc., etc. Nothing about Cardiff's display particularly surprised me. Um, they didn't get maybe the odd lucky bounce in the box that they sometimes get with the way that they attack the goal. Um, but it, it just, it was disappointing, but it didn't necessarily surprise me. This is kind of what we're coming to expect from this Cardiff team this season who don't really seem to have, have hit I was going to say fifth gear, maybe not even fourth gear yet. Yeah, I think if you're a Cardiff fan, you're probably just quite frustrated that you, I think when you when you go behind in a game, especially a derby game like this, you expect to get your fair share of chances. And, and they, in fairness, they had chances to score during the game, um, but it never really, it kind of almost felt as if Swansea were kind of keeping them arm's length to an extent. So from that respect, I can understand it, but this is a decent Swansea team who um, I think compared to last season are showing us that they, they've found different ways to win. Um, if you told, I don't think the Swansea's team of last season would have beaten this kind of team one 0 with a set piece goal. Um, let's say that. So, I mean, credit to Steve Cooper, uh, Cardiff. I mean, I think the frustrations go beyond just this result. It's been a, a fairly average start to the season now. Um, too many, especially first halves, just not really showing up in games and, and finding themselves behind and having to come back into them. Uh, and that's something that Neil Warnock, I'm sure, will look to address. But um, yeah, I was one of those who thought that Cardiff would make a good fist of going straight back up, and that's not proving to be the case. Mm. It was great fun. Well, it is great fun, but especially yesterday to see Andre Ayew um, playing up top for Swansea and putting himself about of it uh, about a lot, playing with a motivation and a desire that I didn't expect to see in, in from him in a Swansea shirt. And I think it's probably something shared by many of the fans as well. It's you know, it's easy to forget that this is a man who's played 84 times for Ghana, who started his career playing about 200 times for Marseille, uh, and who we find aged 29, probably not in the position he would like to be, but knuckling down and, and contributing to his team. And that's only going to help him in the long run. Not everything he tried came off, and some of his final balls were lacking or decision-making, but he was such a, a handful, such a nightmare for the defenders, and, and long may that continue. Birmingham with the other top-half team to win, George. 2-1 winners against Luton that's two wins in a week for them uh, and having lost at Leeds last weekend they got plenty of plaudits from Leeds fans so you have to say uh, a very positive week or so from Birmingham uh, whose fans are getting quite excited um, they've won five of their last six games at home and there's certainly a feeling amongst the fan base and I wanted to ask you what you think about this that this Birmingham side is in 11th place on merit and potentially could be looking to, to do a lot better than certainly we expected and probably most of the fans at the start of the season. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, they've definitely surprised me so far. Um, and, you know, at the beginning of the season, we saw 
I think I said at the time they were the Jekyll and Hyde team of the league where we saw them putting in very good displays and then having absolute stinkers. And I probably thought the latter was going to be more common, but that hasn't been the case. They've, if anything, um, left those performances behind and going forward, they look very, very strong. Um, I mean, the funny thing is, in their last eight games, they've won four and lost four. So those those defeats but, aren't a but, million miles away, but, but, not, the, but the performances look to yeah, be improving. I'd, I'd say that's right. Um, and especially the Leeds game, as you mentioned as well. Um, although Wigan... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's difficult to say at the moment. I'm still... I think there's enough quality in the team now. Um, you know, Djukovic is showing that he is uh, a, a top-level target man at a championship level. We God, saw, we saw it last so season. Much. We're seeing it again now. Valalba brings quality. Danny Crowley, um, Dan Crowley brings quality as well. And Sunjic has added something in the middle of the park. So it's Danny Crowley's brother called Nicky Crowley. <laughs> <laughs> um, he looks unbelievable, then, by the way. I know it's just a... You can make compilations of any player and make them look very good, but we retweeted a... Dan Crowley passing mm. compilation late on Twitter on Sunday night and his vision and and, and his invention it, you know the, the, the pass that set up the assist Brilliant um, pass for the goal on the weekend yeah. a little scoop you mm. know with no backlift with no time to think about it I think it's always been the case with Crowley his, his quality is is undoubted um, it's just harnessing that to maximise the effect on the team in a positive way um, and it looks in, I don't think he's necessarily been a standout player for, for Birmingham this season yet. I think in, in snatches he has been and they've seen his quality. Um, but there are other players who I think are having a more regular impact uh, positively. Um, and, you know, for Birmingham fans, they should be excited because especially when you've got a team who are who are winning consistently at home, when you've got a, a, a basically a settled 11 who are performing very well together um, and a manager who's, who's seemingly at the moment is getting the best out of them. It, it's, a, it's a brilliant time to be a fan. I'm not convinced they've got enough about them yet to really challenge the, the top end of the table but what I would say is that with every week that goes past this is looking like a more and more open championship because mm. you've got teams like Fulham you've got teams like West Brom and Leeds fairly consistently dropping points so any notion that there's a top a, a big three and then the rest here as maybe the odds would suggest I, I think looks a bit wrong I think we can expect a couple more teams to get into that bracket Birmingham certainly have a you know a case to be made to be able to do that I don't think that's going to happen necessarily at the moment I still think that the, the wins are coming fairly marginally I mean mm. you look at the, the games here it was a late goal that got them past Luton it was a late goal that got them past um, Borough as well and the 1-0 win against Blackburn they're not blowing teams away when they're beating them and they are losing games on the road yeah, um, what, I, what I said to someone that messaged us about Blues the other day saying we're not giving them enough credit yet is that the, the, the teams that they've beaten so far this season, the five home wins are all teams in the bottom nine of the division. Um, their away wins, that 1-0 win against Brentford on opening day, which was a remarkable uh, affair, and that 1-0 win against Charlton, which was a very good result. Um, but otherwise, the teams above them, they've struggled against Preston, Leeds, Swansea and Forest have all beaten them, uh, and they drew at home with Bristol City. They've also lost away at Derby and Wigan. So my sort of riposte, I suppose, was start beating teams that we consider to be, let's say, top six or top ten teams in the division consistently, and, and then the team's going to be there, and obviously that we will re- react yeah. accordingly. Or, or, or just win yeah, and start winning comfortably. They've only covered the minus one. I mean, they've only beaten the team by more than one goal once this season, which was Barnsley at home. I don't feel like many teams the are winning next, any games comfortably yeah, in the no, championship this season. True. I mean, except for... You know, when Brentford win, they win three 0 and when they lose, they, they yeah. But um, <laughs> but Birmingham, the next three games, or the next four games, sorry, three are away from home, at Cardiff, at Huddersfield, at Sheffield Wednesday, three difficult places to go, 
and their host of Fulham. So I would argue that, you know, November is going to be a litmus test for, for Pep Clotet's team here. Um, because if they are still, you know, in the top 10, uh, or I mean, they're not in the top 10 at the moment, but if they are in that area come the end of November, then I think we have to give them more credit um, because that's a difficult stretch of games on the road. Um, and that'll show us whether or not they, they really uh, are here to stay. Certainly along with Crowley, Sunjic is getting a lot of love from the Blues fans and both fullbacks, uh, Maxime Collin, who's been consistent at this level for a while, and Christian Pedersen, who they signed at the start of last season, both looking really, really good. Collin assisting Pedersen for a goal on the weekend. Dean Gripton, who is a great friend of the pod and who celebrated his birthday on the weekend. So happy birthday, Dean. Uh, he is the EFL guru, head of EFL research for Football Manager, so he will be working very hard at the moment. He was at the game and said, I know we as Blues love Crowley, Bellingham and Sunjic. All were good, uh, but Izzy Brown was the best player of the park. So uh, one real bright spark for Luton in defeat. Uh, the performance and performances recently of Izzy Brown have been very eye-catching, seemed to be hitting a rhythm, uh, Brown, and, and someone who's played at the top end of this division, played a bit of Premier League action as well and been so badly affected by injuries that it'd be great to see him find his feet and find his form. Hull 2, Derby 0. We're into the bottom half winners now, George. Uh, two wins in just a few days for Hull, which has seen them burst their way into 12th, that very sort of congested middle part of the table. Jared Bowen scored both goals, and I think... As Colin Murray kind of mentioned on the on the highlights show, we talk about him all the time when we talk about Hull. Um, maybe we haven't talked about him in depth much recently because I think there's a feeling that everyone knows Jared Bowen's really, really good. And I thought there might be some value in just diving a little deeper into, into Jared Bowen and what he's doing. Um, he's a wide forward. Although he played through the middle uh, on the weekend, a sort of false nine was suggested. He is, to all intents and purposes, a wide forward, plays generally off the right. He's got 30 goals in his last 60 championship games, so that's the classic one-in-two ratio over the course of a 46-game season. That's 23 goals. He's a brilliant, brilliant goal scorer at this level. Um, he doesn't really assist, though. Uh, eight assists in just about two and a half seasons now in the championship. So... It's clear what his strengths are. He's not a creator. He's not an elite dribbler, a good one, but looking at the stats, not sort of top tier uh, amongst the very top end of, of championship dribblers. But he's just a constant goal threat, which suggests that his ability to find space, I suppose his the, 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 the mental skills that an, an attacker needs to have to reach the top level are there. And also his finishing is just laser-like, right? I mean, he hits the target more than anyone else in the division. 44% of his shots hit the target and he's at an 18.5% conversion rate. So elite finisher, great movement, not necessarily the all-round winger though. Yeah, I think a bit of everything there. Um, as you say, he's not really an elite dribbler. I don't think he's someone who when he carries the ball has a box of tricks that he uses. Um, but he's fairly powerful in the way he moves with the ball and he's got a, you know, he's, he's an okay passer. But he's someone whose movement in the box um, and his ability to find space and fashion a shot is is very, very good. So I can see why he'd appeal playing that number nine role. You look at the team that, that McCann put out on Saturday and, and, you know, that he was probably the most forward player before Eves came on. Um, Grisitsky and Terrell were on as well, but I think Bowen played as that striker. And the first goal was um, a, a striker's finish, kind of mm. popping up at the back post and, and nodding home from a tight angle. 
Um, Bowen pointing to his head, maybe suggesting he didn't expect to score too many headers um, going forward. But I had he, a look on transfer marks. I think he's got two headers before, and out of however many goals, I think it's 50-odd almost. But it's going to be interesting because he's been linked to Premier League moves and he will play in the Premier League fairly soon. Um, but as you say, because he's not your typical um, wide player that maybe you'd expect uh, to see kind of making that step up, he's more in the in the realm of someone like Son at Spurs, I guess, who plays wide but is actually still a goal scorer and, and takes up positions in the box more so than out on the wing. Um, it's going to be difficult for him to kind of play that role and, and, and make that space for himself in a team high up the pyramid. So mm. it suits him being at Hull at the moment because he can basically play, play where he wants. Um, with Grzycki taking that kind of left wing creator role as well, um, helps him to, to have a bit of a free role, whether it's in off the right or, or playing through the middle like he did on Saturday. He's a massive talent and it's easy to forget that he's 22. Uh, so he's got a hell of a lot of time to progress and work out exactly the kind of player that he wants to be. But you know, he, the one thing I would say about him is that you know, I don't expect the goal scoring to stop. Mm. Um, I expect him probably to become more and more uh, a striker than a winger as time goes by because you know he's got a lovely left foot and um, and he seems to have that knack of popping up where, where you want him. Yeah, absolutely. Unbelievably powerful shot and so accurate as well. Millwall beat Stoke 2-0. This was Gary Rowett's first game in charge of Millwall. I can't remember how much or how little we've discussed uh, that on this podcast. Obviously someone that we've spent a little bit of time with recently uh, on Sky Sports duties uh, and good to see him starting his campaign with a win and against a Stoke side who he was manager of last season, which did not go very well. So a, a sweet start for him. Uh, there was one player, again, a bit like Bowen Jed at Hull, who really caught the eye. So lively at the den, Jed Wallace. Just an absolute... He just causes so much mischief, doesn't he? I'd love to know if there's anything behind this performance. I mean, Jed Wallace has, has long been Millwall's you know, most skillful technical player um, for the last couple of years. Uh, but this was, and you know, we're used to probably him being the, the standout performer whenever uh, it does click for Millwall. But you know, they don't win two 0 very often. They don't score two goals from open play very often. And he was, well, I mean, I guess one was a penalty which he created. Um, but he was just electric for the whole game, getting the assists. Um, the the penalty incident just showed the pace, the positivity that he has um, at his disposal. And Dai's tackle was a horror tackle really um, just couldn't really get anywhere near him and panicked and, and, and went to ground when he didn't need to but when you've got a guy with Wallace's ability on the ball with his dribbling ability and his athletic ability it makes it very difficult to defend against um, yeah massive performance and I'd say I'd love to know if, if Rao had said anything to him before the game to to, to light this fire because mm. um, as much of a fan of Jed Wallace I am um, I think he would admit that we don't see that every week and it was uh, something to behold. It was certainly the, the sort of Millwall performance that we got used to two seasons ago and not to read too much into to one win, my feeling when Neil Harris left and when we looked back at, at Millwall's record over his last 30-odd league games with just so few goals, really struggling to, to win games, um, but also still maintaining some ability to make things difficult for the opposition. It feels like Rowett could well be the, the a good man to basically maintain that, that structure, the intensity, the defensive shape that, that they had at, at their peak under Harris, but also just to breathe a little bit more life and imagination into the uh, attacking play. He's not known as a, a manager that gets loads and loads out of an attacking team, but I think this it almost felt like for Harris that the pressure that he found himself under, the weight of 
responsibility that he felt, it, it looked to me like he was just finding it really difficult to unleash the shackles. So um, if this performance is anything to go by, then we will see this Millwall team attack um, with pace, with Wallace. Uh, and it was interesting to see Bradshaw as the striker uh, in a, a 4-5-1 or a 4-2-3-1 rather than the, the, the uber target man, uh, Matt Smith. So we'll see how that uh, continues under Rowett, who he prefers there. Huddersfield 2, Barnsley 1, George. Um, Huddersfield working through things very nicely indeed under the Cowleys. Probably still yet to put together a, a, a performance over 90 minutes that really makes you sit up and take notice. And yet... Um, they've just tweeted a graphic earlier today showing that they have the best record over the last six games in the championship, uh, which might change after Brentford's game against QPR, but still reflects very well on Danny and Nicky. Yeah, who would have thought that Danny Cowley would be successful at Huddersfield, given that Paul Hurst was unsuccessful at Ipswich? It's <laughs> absolutely unbelievable. Um, it's, uh, it's great to see um, them doing so well. I think this is a game where I'm sure they would they would admit that they weren't necessarily at their best. Barnsley had chances, especially in the first half, um, to to go ahead and then to draw level uh, when, it, when they were 1-0 down. Um, Adam Murray's made a very positive start in charge of um, of Barnsley. Um, again, maybe uh, going some way to show that the outrage around um, Sendell's departure is maybe a bit premature because they look better and they look more solid um, even in defeat here. Carlin Grant... Showing again the you know that he's an elite finisher. He's someone who can expect to carry on scoring goals and, and, and all manner of goals as well. And I think for Huddersfield, the key thing here, I mean, talking about how they rode their luck at times is important because they were a team who had just completely forgotten how to win. Um, they could play well in, in, in patches of games and they just could not over 90 minutes get past other teams in, in uh, games of football. And with the same set of players very, very quickly. What the Cowleys have done that's been so impressive is they've managed to turn that around and change it. And I'm not normally one for that kind of kind of rhetoric and narrative because normally over time, those things are going to even themselves out. But given how stark the results have been, uh, as soon as the change is made, I think you have to give them massive, massive credit for that um, because the, the impact of winning games on, on a club like Huddersfield now, they're in a completely different stratosphere to where they were four or six weeks ago. Um, so, I mean... A plus for for the two um, for, for the Cowley brothers for the first month in charge, and, and I expect them to carry on climbing up the table because they've uh, they found that winning feeling again. A couple of big performances from some of the old guard, by which I mean Schindler, who got a goal, but also dealt fairly well with the the, the considerable threat of Corley Woodrow, Barnsley's real bright spark this season, um, but also Hog at the base of midfield. Hog this season has well, certainly in the tough times was really dividing the fan base. Um, his sort of slightly um, low-key screening ability, which was much heralded in their promotion campaign, um, just not capturing the imagination of the fans, let's say, in, in the first part of this season. But uh, he is such a, an experienced player. He will be such a leader in that dressing room that um, with a sprinkling of young players around him now, O'Brien in midfield, who looks really bright, Brown, the left-back, uh, who's very young as well, It's it's just probably the sort of player that you do need sitting in that midfield and currently keeping Trevor Chalaber out the team as well. So uh, he's got a, a battle on his hands. Lastly, George would touch in the championship on West Brom 2, Charlton 2, partly because I was there. Uh, it, this is where we did the final October quest of the season, the EFL highlights show on quest, uh, but also because I think it was probably the most exciting or action-packed game of the weekend. Um 
shall we start with a rare foray into talking about a referee? I mean, I'm not going to go as far as some people saying should never a referee again, complete disgrace, etc., etc., because I don't really buy into that sort of stuff. But still, a a game that caught the imagination of ref haters, it's for sure. You don't often see someone sending the wrong man off. Yeah, not good that. Um, it's hard to say anything else apart from that it wasn't very good. Uh, I thought it was quite it must be quite a weird position when you are Nathan Ferguson and you're aware that you're about to be sent off. You're aware your teammate's been sent off and that it's been a mistake and you're justifiably probably quite upset and quite offended about what's just happened. Mm. Um, and I just enjoyed him just trotting back to left back and standing there as if hoping that it would all just go away and he'd be able to carry on playing football. <laughs> yeah. um, I thought the decision itself was a bad one. Um, I don't think it was a red card at all. Really? I, th- I thought it was. I thought it was just late. It was just a late tackle. I mean, his, stud, his, his feet were low. I don't think it was excessive force. I think the way that, um, the way that he fell did not help at all. I think that's one of those where if he just goes down without the... You know, I'm not saying it was theatrical, but because of the way that his legs flew up in the air and he landed basically on, on his kind of chest, made it look very bad. But I, I think you see those tackles quite a lot. Um, but yeah, not a very good refereeing performance. The penalty was also fairly bizarre. And a bit of um, controlling using the arm and, from and Hal Robson. Robson. I enjoyed that Colin Murray didn't ask Slaven Bilic about the handball. <laughs> he he managed to ask him about the two ones that uh, he knew that Slaven would, uh, would wouldn't agree with, and not the one that um, that he probably would have bitten his head off for. But uh, West Brom fans won't agree. But I thought Charlton were, were were pretty good for that. I think Charlton were good for it as well. But I I just can't believe there hasn't been more talk. I mean, I don't know where I would see the talk, but about how bad Lockyer's defending was for the for the, for the Robson Carney goal. <laughs> that was terrible. Like, what is, is he doing? Well, so I watched it back, and I actually focused on Solly. So maybe we're seeing different things here. But Lockyer is is there's an overlap outside, yeah. And Lockyer, I think, thinks I'll go with that guy because there's Solly's yeah, inside yeah. me, and he'll take Robson Carney. But they didn't read each other's minds there, I mean, and it was. Be, he, to be he, fair, we were in the media box, and everyone went. What have they just done? Yeah. Like, how have they made that so easy it's for him? Pretty ten seconds between Robson Carnu handboarding it to control it and then him finishing it, mm. and he's only about five yards away. So, um, but I mean, it's interesting to hear Lee Bowyer after the game saying that he thinks they should be um, in a better position than they are in based on their performances this season. Um, I don't know if I necessarily subscribe to that because they're doing so well, but it's they've come through a very very difficult patch of games here and are still picking up points. Mm. Um, and it's nearly November, so exciting times. Yeah, the, the, look, West Brom could and should have gone further ahead when they were 1-0 up, but equally, Charlton had plenty of chances uh, in the first half and um, got that goal in the second half as well before the rather generous penalty. Mm. Um, and Sam Johnson made some some big saves. Now, Steve Maidley, who covers West Brom for The Athletic, uh, our partners, sponsors, if you will, he's been writing about Sam Johnston uh, today, and it's interesting because... There was a spell at the start of the season where Johnston was being fairly heavily criticised by West Brom fans, which I think fans of other championship sides might find surprising. Johnston, maybe because of where he came from, Manchester United, but also because of his loans at this level with Aston Villa and uh, uh, and now permanently with West Brom, I think he's considered one of the best goalkeepers in the championship. But early in the season, West Brom fans certainly weren't in agreement with that but what's been clear is over the last few weeks he's been making some some quite key saves even in this West Brom team that does leak a fair few goals considering they're a you know top of the league title challenges it I must say I find it very surprising um their defensive record this season yet to keep a clean sheet at home as you mentioned 
but Johnson is a keeper who it, it's interesting with, with I think most it's a weird quirk of the EFL that a lot of fans a disproportionate amount of fans seem to be convinced that their keeper is the best keeper in the league mm. it seems to be a constant thing I, d- I think it's just because keepers generally are quite decent mm. and it's quite obvious when you have a subpar one uh, but generally if you've got one who does his job quite well and makes a lot of saves you assume that you've got a class act yeah so it's pretty I have rare noticed that as well yeah so it's it's rare to have a keeper in johnson who you know did a very did very well at villa um who comes with a big pedigree who's quite clearly well respected in the game and quite clearly got the respect of his players yet divides opinion in the fan base he's someone i as a neutral as a as a neutral think is very good mm. having initially when i first saw him at villa i wasn't convinced at all i think he's a good keeper and as is said in the athletic piece in a division without an obvious standout goalkeeper, Johnson is among those in the mix to be considered the best in the championship. And it goes on with some quotes from Carl Bartley saying he's absolutely fantastic. Um, gives a quizzical look in response to the suggestion that Johnson's form had improved during the season. And I think that kind of sums it up where this is a league without standout keepers. The one we thought probably was that was Jack Butland, who now would probably come 24th on the list of, of Don't 24. say that. I've been Darren Randolph for about and, 18 months and, now. And you've been a Randolph fan. So, <laughs> and he's someone who I'm sure I, I'd, I'd be surprised if he is ever a Premier League number one from now to the end of his career. Yeah. And, that's, and that says a lot. So I know there will be some Swansea fans who would like to wave Freddie Woodman in front of us because mm. um, maybe he hasn't made or doesn't make the spectacular saves as such, but just makes a consistent level of saves and has been a very good signing for them this season. And Kieran Westwood's save off Patrick Bamford on Saturday has to be up there with one of the saves of the season so yeah, far as well. I, I thought it was a bit overrated, that no. save. Sorry. I, what, what I loved about it was, was the uh, camera angle behind where Westwood watched it go past. You can see him being like, wow, I just made a really good save. Two things I think make it a little overrated, not to say it's not a good save, but not an incredible save for mm. me, was one, it's the perfect camera angle. If that was uh, <laughs> if that was at the other end of the pitch and the other side, then we wouldn't see it for 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 what it, for what we saw it as. But also, it's a it's not a header with any power on it whatsoever. He basically he just has to sort of fall to one side, and he still is able to to push it away. If the if the header had any sort of power on it, I think it would have gone past him at, at that angle. But a very good save nonetheless. Um, I suppose the the thing to remember when we talk about Johnston and and Steve writes about it in the piece is. <laughs> One of the memorable things from West Brom last season was how often they would be passing it around the back, give the ball away and concede a goal. And Johnston was at fault for some of those. But then again, you could argue that was the fault of, of the, the manager and the coaches for setting him up that way. So it's an interesting piece. We would re- recommend reading that. Um, you can sign up to a free trial for The Athletic and then 50% off going forward, which I think makes it about £2.50 a month or something similar. Uh, if you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash ntt20pod, you can sign up today and check it out. In League One, got a couple of things to touch on. We'll go first to the game you were at because it's mostly interesting to hear what you have to say. Um, this game, <laughs> potentially not. And I don't mean to be rude, but I asked you on Saturday, you know, let me know your match report of Oxford Rochdale after the game. Uh, and you said afterwards, not a huge amount to say because it was an absolute battering. And Rochdale went down to 10 in the first half when they were 2-0 down. Oxford racking up 4.44 expected goals, but only scoring three. Um, yeah, what do you make of this? Because Yellows are now the second joint top scoring team in, in the country and you're a very happy man. Yeah, we won't dwell on it for too long. 
Um, but it was just, it was, a, it was a strange game where Oxford were the better team. I'd warned my dad, who I went, who I went with, about Rochdale's um, possession style. And I mean, they <laughs> didn't string many passes together. Were they um, trying say, or do you no. think they might have, they've dropped that slightly? No, I don't think so. I think it was the way Oxford set up didn't, and that didn't kind of allow them to. Um, and it was a, yeah, it was a bizarre game where the first 20 minutes Oxford uh, were on top and, and got a goal that they deserved. Um, Rochdale didn't really threaten going forward. And then um, I was surprised to see Ian Henderson start on the bench uh, anyway. And then Aaron Wilbraham um, gets himself sent off for not a very good tackle. Um, I wouldn't say again, I wouldn't say it's like a, a blatant red, but at the same mm. time, I think it's quite hard to argue against, which was which was the line of, of Brian Barry Murphy after the game. You know, he didn't say it wasn't. He said, I don't blame the ref, but I'm not sure it was. I think that's probably about right. Um, and and then after that, it was just, it was almost like a training game. It was bizarre to watch. And it almost, you know, Oxford are missing chances, which was being greeted to kind of laughter in the stands mm. because no one, everyone knew that the, the game was wrapped up. Strange game. So bizarre, yeah. No, no need to dwell, dwell on it because the big one's tomorrow. Let's and, just uh, touch on a couple of 1-0 wins that we saw in League One this weekend. Accrington lost at home to Gillingham. This represented Gillingham's first away win of the season. And... Certainly a look at the, the shot stats and the underlying data shows that uh, they, were, they were potentially fortunate to, to leave with three points. But having drawn five of their seven away games up to that point, many of which they would have felt they deserved to win, they, they won't care one bit. One thing that's quite interesting at the moment is the amount of attacking output that Accrington are, are putting up. Some of their attacking numbers over the yeah. last few weeks has been sensational. And uh, apart from that very notable win against um, uh, Ipswich, they haven't necessarily been racking up the goals as, as much as the uh, the data might suspect. So that could be something to keep an eye on. But a very good win for, for Gillingham. Jack Bonham in their goal um, doing bits, certainly in terms of shot stopping. I know there are Brentford fans that were never that convinced about his distribution, which is important at the highest level. Uh, his shot stopping at League One level always stands out. And a lovely goal from, from Reese Charles Cook as well. Um, Fleetwood beat MK Dons 1-0. We saw Fleetwood last week in their first half performance against Coventry. I think we were ready to say, you know, we think these these are title challengers. Uh, their, their second half performance might have dampened that feeling somewhat. Uh, a 1-0 win at home to MK Dons is uh, not going to raise our heartbeat too much, but they stayed patient and, and they got the job done. From an MK Dons point of view, George, they've got one point and one goal in their last eight league games. Uh, I can't remember a run of form this bad pretty much since we've been doing the pot yeah they <laughs> and we, we witnessed the beginning of it which started with quite a good second half at home to um to Ipswich mm. uh yeah they are appalling um there's no other way to describe it uh lucky I guess that they're in a league with effectively two relegation slots so if they turn it around quickly it, it won't be catastrophic but I mean if you're a an MK Dons fan, I don't know what you think here because you've got yourself a manager who so well revered around the, the football world, uh, who comes in and gets promotion at the first time of asking, start the season okay, and then just drop off a cliff. Um, there's no, <laughs> there's no, there's no script of how you deal with this. You don't know what you know. Do you call for the manager to get sacked? Do you are you worried that it's the squad that's lacking quality, and if you get rid of the manager, that's the only good thing you've got going for you? Very very difficult. Um, it feels like he's sort of. Tying himself in knots, though, trying to yeah. trying to get out of this, and and you know we've ended up seeing them play quite bizarre formations with like com 
you know, with three or five at the back and packing the centre of midfield mm. and then runs out of players to actually do anything in the final third. Um, yeah. that, you know, that's reflected in, in one goal in eight games. Uh, I know that there's significant injuries, uh, certainly at the top of the pitch, but, you know, Agard started on the weekend, Bowery came off the bench. Um, there are players there and it just, I've not been impressed at all with how he, and I've been surprised at it with how he's re- reacted to this poor run of form. Uh, and it's certainly very, very concerning uh, for them. A big old win for Shrewsbury, the 12th time they'd played Sunderland and the first time they'd beaten them. Uh, it was a 1-0 win where it's kind of like when we saw them play Lincoln uh, the other Friday night and Shrewsbury looked like a really good defensive team for this level, able to follow their manager's instructions and keep the opposition at bay extremely efficiently in a way that I found very impressive, but the fans don't always find that exciting. But it's true, they don't create many chances. Thankfully, Mr Cummings seems to be behaving himself and uh, it's a hell of a finish to bring Phil Parkinson Sunderland back down to earth with a bump. I think it always goes wrong for Jason Cummings when the uh, Christmas parties start. <laughs> but uh, he likes the early season bit of form. Same with me, to be fair. Yeah, me. Um yeah, this was a, a, I mean, a bizarre game, I guess. I mean, it's it's funny with Sunderland where watching back kind of the extended highlights here and you've got uh, woodwork being struck, yeah. you know, properly left, right and centre. You've got good saves. <laughs> the left post, the right post and, and the, the crossbar, <laughs> basically. You've got O'Leary making brilliant saves as well late, late on and all reports from Sunderland fans is how poor they are. Um when you think that actually this looks like one which they're quite unlucky to come away uh, without anything from. I mean, it's not a good result, you have to you have to say, and to not get on the score sheet. But, it, I mean, they did pretty much everything they could do to try and do that. And if it, was, it was only the heroics of a keeper and the woodwork that kept them out. So this is one that I'm uh, not putting a black mark next to Phil Parkinson for. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I, I still think the Tranmere result and, and the manner of it, I think the team selection is also promising for, for Sunderland as well under him. And um, yeah, let's just hope that they uh, don't turn up for real on Tuesday night in the Carabao Cup. Yeah, for Shrewsbury, the next step is very much try to turn draws into wins, try and score more goals. They've only got 12 in their 14 games, but they've only conceded 14 as well. So it, it's true that the fans are not flocking to watch this Shrewsbury team. Um, but I also think it's true that, that Ricketts is, is showing some now, certainly in, w- in one part of the pitch, and there's quite a lot to be said for that, I, I, I think, personally, but I don't have to pay to watch them. Um, Wickham... We might be going soon. We Bol- might Bolson be going soon. by two if we do go. Yeah, we might be seeing you um, for that Peterborough game in a couple of mm. midweeks' time, Shrewsbury. Um, please, Shrewsbury fans. Next week. Next week. Could, yeah. you, could someone let us know the best golf course to play near Shrewsbury um, and then I can text Ethan Ebanks Landell and see if he wants to join <laughs> us for a round my good friend um, Wickham beat Rotherham 1-0 and they now have 30 points from 15 games the fact that they've been towards the top end of the table all season shouldn't detract from how exceptional that very fact is two points per game uh, and, and not really sort of overperforming in a, in any particular way just just quite a good team coupled with a great week off the field in which the fans voted in Rob Kuig uh, with with the majority that he needed so they have new owner uh, settled the debts it's a team to be proud of uh, it's just an unbelievable time to be a Wickham fan and off the back of this game I just wanted to say 
I would possibly trust Scott Kashket with a one-on-one more than any other striker in the division. And he hasn't racked up as many goals as some other players. But if you watch a compilation of his goals, the one thing that will strike you is how composed he is and how unerringly he will he will finish. When I um, was with Sam Saunders at uh, the Quest uh, show, he when I asked about Scott Kashkut, who of course he knew from his time at Wickham, he just said the boy's goals <laughs> about 10 times. The boy's goals. The boy's goals. Nice. And so that will stay with me. So maybe Kashkut, I think Kashkut's one of those players who could suddenly be like, incredibly prolific later on in his career because it's, it's about his movement, it's about his finishing ability. He doesn't necessarily play in a team at the moment which caters to, to that style of play. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about him in three or four years as being one of those guys who in, in his kind of late 20s, early 30s, 30s becomes a wily goal scorer. Yeah, nice. Ipswich back to winning ways. James Norwood scoring first, as we predicted, uh, with our first ever exclusive odds checker tip. Um, there's more of that coming up, so make sure you're following us on Twitter at NTT20pod if that interests you in any way. Sol Campbell... Uh, going straight into the formation that served him so well with Macclesfield last season. It's a formation, basically 3-4-1-2, so three at the back, wing-backs, two centre-mids, and then he had Simon Cox behind Hopper and Humphreys. Now that, as a front three on paper, looks like it could provide plenty of goals from here on out. Um, arguably, their three best players, Southend, all playing at the top end of the pitch. Uh, three centre-backs, if well-drilled can provide you that extra bit of solidity, that extra bit of, of cover. Um, and Elvis Bormono, the right wing back, I think, you know, it's the sort of player that could could excel, could thrive in that role. So be interesting to see how they go. They, they still looked pretty easy to play through. Uh, Caden Jackson and Norwood caused them all sorts of problems. But um, yeah, Ipswich's run of two defeats ended there, as did George moving to League Two. Exeter, who had been binned off, quite frankly, twice in a row. Uh, in away games. I'll say three times in a row, given your bidding off of them in the uh, betting show as well. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, I like to keep Thursdays and Mondays separate. Um, <laughs> um, Exeter beating Plymouth 4-0 in the Devon derby. Um, the intensity of the celebrations from Exeter fans and the intensity of the anger from Plymouth fans really sort of hit home how much this game means to, to these sets of fans. Um, Exeter were straight out the traps and... Interestingly, listening to Mike Holden of the Fox Punter fame talking today about how he felt low and his sort of jokey, fairly nonchalant persona almost maybe didn't treat this with uh, enough respect, this game, and might have slightly dropped the ball there. But regardless, from an extra point of view, an unbelievable way to punch your way back up towards the top of the table. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I thought this was, on paper, the worst possible timing for this game for Exeter. And given the manner of victory, uh, it couldn't have come at a better time because those two performances previously and results are now completely forgotten. Um, they have bragging rights over um, the local rivals. Uh, they've you know, sent back home pre one of the pre-season favourites solidified their spot at the top end of the league um it it couldn't have gone better so um for matt taylor as well for for him the manager who continues to to impress every time we talk about him uh, a massive massive plus for him and, and as you say for ryan lowe a, a guy who had pretty high hopes for um mm. quite disappointing to to see the way that he handled this game because it, it was such a easy pr win and such an, a, an opportunity to really stamp their mark on the league 
was to go into this one knowing they were the form team and knowing they could have gone into it and really try and put it up Exeter the um, early on the way they approached the, the way they started the game was very similar to the way that Lowe approached the game um, they were kind of half asleep and um, were made to punish for it we spoke on the Thursday betting show about how Danny Mayer missed a game through suspension Cooper played really well which meant that Mayer then didn't come back into the team in the previous game. And we wondered whether Lowe would just keep the same team that had done so well. He did that. And, you know, this is very revisionist, but you have to say that they missed Mayer. There was plenty of possession for Plymouth, enough possession anyway, but there was so little quality in the final third from them. You know, to to only end up having six shots overall, especially when you're behind for a lot of that game, gone behind before half-time, um, just simply not good enough. And, uh, it, it, you know, it feels obvious to say that Mayer, with his unique blend of, uh, of trickery and, and, uh, and, and creativity, would have, would have proven a little more effective in that game. But not to be this time for Plymouth. Another 4-0 win, uh, which you'll be excited to talk about, is Swindon going to Crawley uh, and winning 4-0, capping off a really good week for them. We didn't really talk about Swindon, when they only picked up, I think it was four points from six games uh, early in the month of October. Not I was desperate to, but you wouldn't <laughs> let me. Not impressing. Um, but we can't ignore this just because we didn't talk about their bad run, can they? The first team to keep a clean sheet against Crawley in the league this season and at the other end of the pitch, Owen Doyle, with 13 goals in 13 games. Yeah, and you often think, especially in League Two, that the teams who go up have those attacking players who other teams can't really handle and then the eights and Doyle you've got that at the moment um, we saw it with Barry last season um, and we saw it to an extent with MK Dons as well and it just feels like if you're if you're looking through the teams in, in League 2 uh, if you're a League 1 manager and you could pick any strike force that you'd want to just kind of take to your club it would be those mm-hmm. two and that's a, a massive strength of theirs I mean it, the, the form of Swindon this season has been pretty bizarre uh, it's hard to really put your finger on it every time you think they're about to go on a charge and really stamp their authority on the league they lose and whenever you think they may not be as good as you thought they were they go and put in a performance like that so it's up to Richie Wellens to harness the team and uh, and try and get them winning consistently uh, but that's a, a huge result and a huge performance on Saturday yeah really impressive stuff Stevenage and Morecambe was the basement battle there's only one uh, relegation place in League 2 this season so it's going to be very difficult to get relegated there will be a couple of teams who are really bad who will get relegated you know I note the fact that even after this result you've got Morecambe at the bottom with 10 points from 16 games Stevenage who beat them 1-0 with a goal from Scott Cuthbert go above them with 12 points from 16 games you've got Scunthorpe who started the season so badly seem to be picking up somewhat on 14 points from 16 games and then you've got a, a, a trio of teams who many of their fans would say are desperately bad and heading for non-league in Walsall, Carlisle and Oldham. So only one of those six teams is, is going to go down and it feels like none of them particularly impressive. Um, the upshot of this is, and sorry to steal any Stevenage thunder because second win of the season and, and starting to pick up points slightly at a slightly better rate under Mark Sampson, is that the longest serving manager in the EFL, Jim Bentley, uh, stepped down and actually the rumours were there before the game I was told about it before the game um, but the there's there's quite a lot to unpack here it's, it's sort of initially and still I feel like this is quite sad we we know Jim Bentley as a, a 
spent nine years as a player at Morecambe. He's spent eight and a half years as a manager at Morecambe, and he he's well, he's not just part of the furniture there. He kind of is the club in my eyes to some extent, which may or may not be the right thing to say. Um, but he leaves to take, we gather, the job at AFC Fylde in the in the National League, possibly a, a club with more financial abilities, shall we say, at this stage. Um, certainly a club with more with a more stable at board level um, structure and somewhere where he will be certainly instantly loved. Um, With Morecambe, it's been difficult this season. Uh, We always talked last season on the pod when we talked about how Morecambe always stay up because they come out on top in games against the other teams at the bottom. This season, that's not been the case. Um, They've played five of the six teams directly above them and they've lost all five of those games, scoring one goal in, in the process in those five games. So I think it's probably... We probably would have been asking more questions about him if he wasn't just such a fixture at the club. Um, I think, and and f- for him, I mean, it's obviously somewhere that he has loved being a player and a manager there. But it must be galling every season. You know, you, you perform incredibly well to keep your head above water and then you have to start again and do it all again and fight the odds again. Um, and in Fylde, he's taking over a team who it would be a surprise if in 18 months two years they're not in a, in a better position than Morecambe probably with more money and more ambition as well I mean not probably with more money and with more ambition um, so it's always sad to see you know a one club servant as he has been for, for nearly two decades move on um, but I don't think it'll be I don't think it'll be too long till you and I are talking about um, Jim Bentley again just fingers crossed we're still talking about Morecambe as well yeah Kevin Ellison and Barry Roach have taken charge in the interim which is quite fun Ellison obviously the second oldest player in the EFL, who has himself been a fixture at Morecambe and across League Two for some time now, and he'll certainly know the league, you would have thought. But uh, we'll see how he gets on uh, in interim charge. It'll be interesting to see who they go for as an appointment here. Uh, I know that last year they were flirting with Paul Ince. They were trying to get him in as a, a director of football or something like that. So it could be that they go back to that uh, well, um, but they've got a hell of a job on their hands because this is a, a pretty poor squad that aren't scoring any goals and aren't picking up many points. So uh, not great vibes, really, for Morecambe. Great win for Colchester, who beat Newport from behind. They were a little lucky to get level, deflected strike, but some of the football in the second half bodes pretty well for them. Uh, they've got a big game against Crawley in the Carabao Cup on Tuesday. George, as an Oxford fan, also in the Carabao Cup, heading uh, to the Kassam on Tuesday night, we are, to watch your game against Sunderland. Who do you fancy to win out of Colchester and Crawley? A few weeks ago, we quite rated Crawley. Yeah, I'd rather play Crawley. You'd rather play Crawley? Yeah. If Swindon can put four past Crawley, then we can put a few more. We got a bit blinded by <laughs> Bez Labala a few weeks ago, didn't we, when it came to Crawley? By shot volume, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's... Great, there's going to be at least one League One team in the next round and definitely a League Two team as well. Um, so it should, you know, it's not necessarily a competition you and I talked too much about. Even last season when Burton got to the semi-finals, um, it didn't feel like there was much of a chance of them going further than that. But if we can get, you know, if we can get an all an all League One, League Two clash in the, in the quarters, that would be quite tasty. Imagine. Um, let me ask you, how worried are you about Walsall at the moment, uh, George? Because... Last six games, three points, which was one win, which was the sixth game away. They've lost five in a row now. 
And in that time, they've conceded quite a lot of goals. At the start of the season, we were like, well, Daryl sorted out the defence there and now he just needs to work on the attack. Uh, quite the opposite, actually. He sorted out the defence and so far the attack not been sorted out and the defence has regressed somewhat. So uh, some concern. Difficult for Walsall fans to have to see their manager just basically severing ties with the players before we even got out of October um, talking about the churn that he's going to oversee in January and that they're not, not up to the fight because that's not what you want to hear when you are coming off the back of relegation with a manager in charge who's done such amazing things at the club before. So uh, it's going to be a long old couple of months till January for uh, Walsall and I hope that Daryl Clark can find a way to get these players back up for it because yeah, it's, it's looking like a it's looking pretty ominous at the moment. Born and bred in Mansfield, a Mansfield town fan when he was younger as well. So that will have stung and it will have stung some of the Walsall fans who were chanting about Andy Cook being large, shall we say, overweight, I think was the suggestion uh, when he scored the winning goal and gave them the old look at my belly celebration. Not the winning goal, the first goal in that game, but uh, a good win for Mansfield who look like they're moving in the right direction. They're up to 14th now they are one of five teams on 20 points and lastly well the best team in the league over the last eight days Northampton Town they've won three games in a row by two goals to nil Um, and at a period of the season where the games are coming thick and fast that is going to get you up the league very very quickly that sort of consistency of performance and of result uh, is going to do great things so nine points in three games they're now up into eighth in 24 points from 16 games. Um, still not entirely convinced whether this is built on the the right sort of foundations to get them even further up the table, but very solid defensively. Uh, Charlie Good, I mentioned on the Quest show, has been absolutely sensational. Jordan Turnbull has been very good as well, um, playing in a, in a defensive midfield role. Nicky Adams providing assists, as we might have expected. Uh, and then up front... Got a mixture, really, of, of Harry Smith, who scored on the weekend, of Andy Williams uh, and of Hoskins as well. So a few different options for Keith Curl uh, and a really impressive few weeks for them. So we'll keep an eye out on the Cobblers and see if that can uh, can well see if that can be sustained over the next few weeks and months. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Quite an exciting week ahead, going to QPR Brentford on Monday night. Also going to Oxford Sunderland in the Carabao Cup on Tuesday night. So do follow us at NTT20Pod on Instagram. Uh, for updates and thoughts and opinions and nice filtered pictures from dark football stadiums. Um, We appreciate your support. Please do retweet this podcast if you've enjoyed it and we can't wait to talk again later in the week.